When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It was like one of those moments you want to feel the hairs on the back of your neck to sort of rising. I was setting up this shot. I was like, go crazy with it, go crazy with it. And the last take of that, he just went wild with it. And I remember seeing that and thinking, my God, this is this is like the best close-up of my career. from an Imperial factory facility on Narkina 5, and welcome to the Dagobah Dispatch, where we hope you can swim, because the prison escape is on like Donkey Kong. We are going to get into episode 10 of Andor, and we are going to get into it with two very special guests. We have Mr. Kino Loy and Snoke himself, Andy Circus, with us this week. And as if that's not enough, we also have the director of six, count them, six Andor episodes, Toby Haynes will be joining us as well, taking you behind the scenes of The Great Escape and everything else going on with the series. And that is not all because someone who claims to only celebrate Christmas after Thanksgiving is off buying Star Wars Christmas stuff again. (laughs) We will get into it all. I'm Dalton Ross, joined as always by Devin Kogan and Lauren Morgan. Uh, Devin, did your head explode getting to talk to Gollum this week for the podcast? I did geek out a little bit. I, if you know me, I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. Shout out to my other EW podcast, All Rings Considered. Um, and yeah, oh my God, I was like, it's Andy Serkis. It's it's Gollum. It's, uh, you know, um, it's Smeagol himself. But no, I, it was so funny because I was prepping for this interview with, with Andy Serkis and I was like, oh, he's one of those actors who he has done everything. He yeah. has been in a Batman movie. He has been in a Marvel movie. He's been in Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Like he's directed Planet like, of the Apes. Like Planet, you know, Planet of the Apes. He's done like Jungle Book. Like, I mean, he's one of those actors who has had a hand in basically every franchise you've ever loved. And um so King yeah. Kong, too. Wasn't he King Kong? Yeah, I th- yeah. yeah. And like, man, what a legend. Yeah. Just, he- what a legend. Want, and also hear- a lovely human being. Just a delightfully nice. Well, is human that being. see, that's the problem. Yeah, because I haven't told you all my Andy Circus story. So What's I was your Andy Circus story. <laughs> so out of Comic Con every year in San Diego, Entertainment Weekly has a big shindig, a big party. It's the party to end all parties at Comic Con. It's the big. It's it's for both movers and shakers. So there's lots of celebrities hanging around. You got your James Camerons. You got your whole Game of Thrones cast. All these, everyone's there. So I'm at the party and I can't even remember because I blocked it out who I was talking to. And and then sort of we're sort of in like a weird sort of little circle. And then like Andy Circus is in the circle. I'm like, oh my God, that's Andy Circus. And then the person kind of like it's super loud at this party. Like you can't hear anything. So the person kind of introduces me to Andy Circus, but you can't sort of hear what they say. They're just kind of like, oh yeah. And I'm like, okay, I'm I'm so excited. I'm like, oh my God, I'm talking to Andy Circus. And then he, he's this person is so nice and just so just like no ego and just super jovial and smiling. And the person who introduced us kind of walks away. And so then I start to think like, all right, this person's way too nice 
to be Andy Serkis. And this guy just passed him off. This guy just got passed off to me. He is some guy that I'm such an idiot because I'm really bad at recognizing people. So I'm like, oh my God, this isn't Andy Serkis, just some like super enthusiastic you know, nerd that snuck into our party. That he this loves person, Survivor. He yeah. wants to talk to Dalton. And, and this guy just passed him off on me. And I got really um, uncomfortable. And then I just basically like, like semi-rudely excused myself and walked away because like, okay, it wasn't Andy Serkis. Well, it was Andy Circus. Like it <laughs> was like totally. I know. Wow. And I was the you know I'm one of the hosts wow. at the party. It's the Entertainment Weekly party. I'm supposed to be nice to everyone. This guy was just too damn nice to be Andy Circus, and yet it was Andy Circus. And now he just thinks Dalton Ross is a big jerk. Well, the, wow. and I am. And the pl- the payback is at another <laughs> Entertainment Weekly party in New York. At one point, I. I, I got passed off to someone. And I didn't realize it till later. <laughs> I won't mention who passed me off, but I, I will tell you I got passed off too. I got passed off to uh, Sidel Noel. She was on that show Glow, played Cherry Bang. She was one of the oh, wrestlers. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and I didn't realize it till it was over that the person's like, oh, you haven't met, you know, you haven't met her. You should meet her. She's great. Introduced and kind of slid out. I was like, oh my God, I just got passed off. It does I just happen. totally got passed off. It's brutal. Anyway, he it is doesn't. a nice guy. Uh, just a lovely human being. So I'm excited for you guys to hear hear that interview because he's somebody who like you just get the sense that he's really excited to to be in the Star Wars universe and he's like happy to be back and you know get to actually show his face as opposed to being a giant hulking you know um, creature in like gold robes. Yeah, he and we're excited. He's so great. Uh, by the way, you mentioned your other podcast, All All Rings Considered, the um, Lord of the Rings slash Rings of Power podcast. I want to tell you uh, a few things about that. One, I was talking to my daughter yesterday. And she had been watching, but you know, she's a college student. And I don't know if you all were like me when I was in college, sort of like, it's like a black hole for TV. You're just way too busy. Oh yeah. I didn't, I didn't think I watched any television. Speak for yourself. I was really depressed in college. So all I did was watch television. So I was like, sure, I'm going to binge like nine seasons of Supernatural or like, sure, I'm going to watch the X-Files from the beginning, all 200 episodes. When I was in college, there was no opportunity to binge. There's no binging. It was just basically... Whatever Three was channels. On the, yeah, yeah, whatever mm-hmm. was on the NYU cable channel. So that's yeah. why, like, there's certain times I watched, like, like Blair Witch Project, like, 14 times because that was the only thing that was on the cable channel that much. See, this no. was DVDs. Like, that was that was. For oh, me. no, I, like, don't even, yeah. I didn't even have DVDs yeah. at the yeah, time. We were lucky we to have a, v- a v- VCR. Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I was talking to my daughter. I knew she was behind. I'm like, oh, where are you in the show? She goes, oh, we just finished the episode where, okay, a little bit of a spoiler alert. I'm not going to go full spoiler, but just half spoiler. Okay, half spoiler. She goes, oh yeah, we we found out, you know, who's who's Sauron and you know who's you know Gandalf, blah 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 blah. I'm like, oh yeah, so the finale. She goes, what do you mean? I'm like, that's the finale. And she got really bummed out because she didn't realize it was the finale. Aww. She thought she had like, I'm like, dude, you got <laughs> two more years. Yeah, two two years. You got to wait for that. I think if you're gonna spend that much money on a show, you should have at least like you know 14 episodes. Hit double digits. Yeah, hit double digits. But I'm somebody who I'm like I'd spend as much time in Middle Earth as I can. But it's funny, like anecdotally, I've heard a lot of people who are like getting into it now and watching it now that it's over, um, just because there was so much buzz around the finale. So I think I think people are into it. Well, there's also some buzz around the EW podcast because uh, we got a review. Uh, on <laughs> Apple Podcasts. It's been a while. And uh, we've gotten a few. There's there's another one we got that's a little more mixed. I'm not going to read that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's good. You know, it's all right. It's fine. It's not a, it's not a, a, a slam. Um, 
So, but uh, but we got this this review that I want to read from uh, Brian G seventy six, who left us this review on Apple Podcasts, and we really do appreciate it when people read it and we give them shout outs. So, if you want to shout out on the podcast, leave us a review. Uh, five stars, ladies. Um, <gasps> but here's what Brian said: I started listening during Obi Wan, and now I go straight to it after every episode of Andor. I love how it goes up right and after the show drops, and I always find the discussions very interesting. Through this podcast. I also heard about and started listening to Devin's other podcast, All Rings Considered. And although I wasn't a huge Lord of the Rings guy, I'm also loving that show and podcast. Hope you keep these up even after the current shows are over. So very nice, Devin. But he said nothing of West of Westeros, so I, you know. I feel like that's the follow-up review. I feel like that's that's come up. Lauren's uh, other podcast, West of Westeros, and we don't need (laughs) to get into the fact that they did a crossover episode without me. I'm just going to sort of (laughs) skip over that. Uh, completely. But anyway, uh, much appreciated. It would have been too much nerdery for one podcast if we did all five of us. Yeah, it would just would have been six hours long. Speaking of nerdery, (laughs) Lauren Morgan made it just a real big tactical error this week. Uh, Putting into the Slack channel, or did (laughs) I do it on purpose? Putting into the Slack channel. Now, if you listen to last week's episode. Lauren put a, 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 a an item up from the Disney store of like an Ewok Christmas tree that she wants to buy for like $70, even though it's like an Not inch tall. Not for $70, on discount whenever it goes on sale. Okay. And it's sold out. I think if it weren't sold out, she would have just not been able to stop herself and she would have bought it, Devin, <laughs> no matter what she says I about waiting so for the nice price. Uh, so, but we had a whole discussion about, you know, you shouldn't start doing Christmas stuff till after Thanksgiving. Well, cut to the other day when we see that Lauren has purchased the Star Wars Millennium Falcon gingerbread kit. <laughs> uh, uh, of course, she sends a picture of it. It's basically a Millennium Falcon gingerbread. Like, I, what is it? Like, did it land on a house, Lauren? It looks like it's on some big, is, is that a landing platform? What's going on there? I think it was basically they put an understructure on it so they could say, and like, they don't call it a house. They say yeah. it's just a gingerbread kit. Yeah. But we were, we were just in, we were in a Joann's the other day and I was taking my niece to go because she likes to bead. So she was buying beads and I saw it and I was like, I'm going to buy that. Even though I think my daughter preferred some of the other options that were like, there were like a bunch of different gingerbread kits. Last year we did like, like a Bowser's castle from Super Mario. So, and this year I was like, I'm getting the I'm getting the Millennium Falcon. This this is this is the best thing about Lauren's got a, a young little kid and she tries to feign like she's doing all this stuff for oh, her daughter. No, I I don't feign it. <laughs> I, I will fully own that. A lot of times when I buy my daughter a toy, I'll be like, "Ooh, that's cool," and then she's just like, "But I don't want that." And I'm like, "No, you're gonna like we literally." I don't think I've ever mentioned it before, but we have a uh, it's kind of like a Power Wheels version of Luke's land speeder that they came out with when Whoa. she was like two years old. Yeah, I should send it to you. We ha- we have videos of my daughter driving it very erratically when she was two or three years old. <laughs> this thing came out and it was like right when Toys R Us was going out of business. So originally it came out and it was a lot of money. And then it was like a fifth of the price. It was a hundred bucks. And my husband and I saw it and we're like, we're getting this. Did That's you so or cool. did you not try to fit into the land speeder? Oh, we have both tried to fit into the land speeder. <laughs> <laughs> it is like the favorite thing of the children on our block. We live on a dead end street too. So it's very good for just, and the this thing goes really fast too. Oh, so the kids just like zip down our street in the land speeder. And I see there's a lot of like parents who are like, 
I'd like to get into that too. So. <laughs> Lauren Morgan shooting womp rats in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Yeah, pretty uh, much. You gotta go to Tashi yeah. Station to pick up some some power converters. To get a yeah. little boost on that sucker. So uh, how much did you pay for the Star Wars Millennium Falcon gingerbread kit? I see it retails for $19.99, Lauren. I did not pay that much. It was like 40% off. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the episode descri- uh, the description for um, Millennium Falcon gingerbread kit. <laughs> says, defeat the dark side this holiday season with this pre-baked Millennium Falcon gingerbread kit. This kit contains everything you need for a galaxy full of fun, from pre-made icing to colorful candy beads. It seems like they're doing all the work for you here, Lauren. Pretty much. They have these kits now for everything. They have, like, it used to be just Christmas. Now they have Halloween kits. We've had Easter kits. We've had, like, miniature coffins that we've done. (laughs) We usually buy these, so we just threw out a Halloween one. Now it's time for this. I, of course, looked at the nutrition facts. Uh, never, of course. Uh, <laughs> you never ever <laughs> eat these things, though. It's, uh, well, I was, imp- I was impressed at first because I was like, oh, it's only like 13 grams of, of sugar. Mm-hmm. But then I realized the whole thing is only uh, 23 ounces. And it says servings per container, about 23. <laughs> so, a, so a serving is literally like a little morsel just big enough for a mouse. We have we have never ever eaten any of these kits. We build them and then they're there for like three weeks. And by the time you're just like, I am not touching that thing. We just feel like we should put them outside and let the birds feast on them. Fair enough. All right. Well, anyway, uh, if you do eat it, I hope it's delicious. If not, have you taken it out of the box? Is it? Oh no, around? we're not going to do it till like I might buy things before uh, Thanksgiving, but we will not actually do any Christmas. Thing until like probably the week after Thanksgiving. Okay. By the way, when, once we get closer to the holiday season, we definitely will have to do deep dives on the Star Wars holiday special, of course, and the uh, yeah, and the Star Wars lost. Christmas album as well. Uh, <laughs> is going to need a full that. little John Bon Jovi action. Is going to get the full <laughs> the full podcast treatment with without a doubt. But that's not what we're doing today. Today we're talking and or episode ten. As I mentioned, we've got Andy Circus that's going to be chatting uh, with us in a little bit, and then of course Toby Haynes who directed. This episode has directed six and/or episodes in the last three, so we're going to chat with them a little bit. But let's get our thoughts uh, first here. Episode ten, the big of uh, the big prison break finally happened. Devin, what'd you think of it? Look, I love a heist and I love a prison break, and this was a great one. This is a great prison break. Um, I like, yeah, I, I've been. I was very delighted by this episode. I thought it was paced really well. You know, shout out to my boy Andy Circus. Like, I just there was a lot to really like in this episode and and the ending is a little bit of a gut punch and it's just like beautiful and i i don't know i was just very this was this might be one of my favorite episodes of andor so far what did you guys think number one episode of mine i thought it was really? i thought it was definitely the best i think all three of us the way we've been talking this yeah. arc of three episodes i think i can say has been our favorite mm-hmm. uh and yeah. i i agree with you uh, I love, again, spoiler alert. So they they get out to the facility. They have to go level by level and they're picking people up along the way. And the, Cassian's just murdering everyone that he sees, like all these guards just killing everyone. They finally get to the top. They're running on the platform. And then you see, and it's like they're surrounded by water and it's a long way down. And uh, then Kino just looks and he's like, has this expression. It's like almost matter of fact, it's like, I can't swim. And I I don't want to spoil my interview with Toby Haynes, and I don't know what Andy Serkis said to you, Devin, but like I will just say that his line reading of that and the expression on his face is so is such a gut punch, as you said, and so just heart wrenching, incredible. Uh, I loved it. What do you think, Lauren? 
I thought it was spectacular. I thought this was like the best episode that they've done. And and throughout the whole entire thing, like the prison break stuff was really great. We're going to talk about Stellan yeah, uh, Skarsgård's final uh, final scene. But I, I mean, I thought that was great as well. So I, this, this is where I felt like all of the pieces sort of snapping into place, like I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago. And I felt like I was like, oh, this this was really excellent. And you'll hear later in our interviews as we ask them, like, because obviously the, the big question you have coming to this episode is, well, what happened to Kino? Right. He yeah. doesn't he doesn't he doesn't jump. At least we don't see him jump over the edge or the side. So, Devin, what what do you think happens to him? Do you think there's a character we'll see again, either in this show or some other Star Wars property at some point? I guess. Is it just back back to work building uh, these weird items for the Empire? I don't know. I'm very curious about it. It was interesting. And, and in my interview with Andy Serkis, he gets into this. He talks a lot about creating a backstory for this character where, you know, he kind of came in and he was like, I don't how, how do I get a handle on this guy? And so he he liked the idea that he was like a union organizer, or like a labor organizer and has some background in that. And um, I don't know. I just I'm unsure. I mean, like, I think on one hand, it, you could tie it kind of neatly in a little bow and just say, Maybe he drowned, maybe he, you know, whatever, maybe we'll never see him again, or maybe he'll pop up further down the line. We'll see him pop up somewhere. I'm never mad to see Andy Serkis pop up anywhere in in the Star Wars universe or any universe for that matter. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I think his performance is so great. Diego Luna's performance is so great here. I love the speech that Kino gives when he's over the loudspeaker and he kind of like has this look of fear on his face and he like doesn't quite know what to say. You know, he's somebody who he spent his whole prison career, you know, being in charge and always knowing what to say and always ordering people around. And then like when it's time to take charge of this rebellion, he kind of freezes. But then he gives this really moving speech, which I was just like, wow, that's like it's pretty it's pretty great i mean i'm a sucker for a speech i love like a you know it's halftime and we gotta you know go out there and beat them i love aragorn at the black gate and lord of the rings like i love a motivational speech how can you not and this is a particularly good one and also i think this is something we've talked about a little bit on the show but i i also feel like the dialogue and the writing on this show is maybe just a step up from some of the other star wars shows that we've seen before like i love mandalorian you know boba fett everything but also i think this is maybe just some of the lines and the way they talk about revolution and the way they talk about politics it's just it feels it, it just a little bit more thoughtful and a little bit more moving and and that speech is an example where i was like wow that that's like a very nice piece of of writing what did, what did you guys make of that that whole moment? I think that was a great moment. and But I was really thinking about the speech at the end where Luthen is just talking. We'll talk about this in a minute. But his speech, I was really like, I yeah. actually like wrote down lines from that. Because I was like, that's a great line. So I really do agree with you, though, that the, the dialogue in Andor has been probably, I think, the best out of any of the Star Wars shows that we've seen. So I really agree with that. I mean, I think Andy Serkis's uh, performance was great. Um, I really do hope someone just pushed him out and be like, just float, man. Like, it's not that hard. But I, I also do joke, like, maybe that's where the vat of Snokes came from. Who knows? Oh God, you're my... obsessed. You're obsessed with the Snokes. <laughs> the it's vat like of Devin Snokes. and the Llamas. Or it, the is, it is. It is. <laughs> oh. Where did a... that vat of Snokes come from? But like, <laughs> Why you know, are there I don't so think... many of them? But no, I don't I don't really think that's true. I think that it just, you know, they got they got a chance to use an, an excellent actor again and they're like sure why not let's use this you know yeah and it's always great to see andy circus without having all of the motion the cg on top of him and just it's like when you can just see him as as himself you're like this is a great actor he doesn't need he's a great actor that. yeah well not, well not only did you have the great speech of the loudspeaker not only did you have the luthan great speech but you also had that keynote speech sort of at the very beginning where he's like play it how you want 
but I'm going to assume I'm already dead and take it from there. I mean, yeah. I am in full agreement that, you know, we had some issues with uh, the show in terms of the flashbacks and the pacing at, at, at the beginning, but the, the dialogue has always been really, really strong. And we know that dialogue, even for us Star Wars obsessives, you know, going all the way back to the original trilogy with George Lucas, dialogue was not always um, his strong <laughs> his strong suit. Some of my favorite quotes from Mark Hamill and and Harrison Ford just talk about like some of the the stuff where they're like, "George, you 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 can't say this." Like, "George, you, this is in you, English." You can type this. Uh, yeah, what, what, but yeah, you, you can type this, but you can't say it. Yeah. So oh. yeah, that's so really you know bad dialogue is actually you're just staying true to to Star Wars. That is yeah. you know. That's that's a writing choice. It's always good to get actually good dialogue. In Absolutely, Star Wars, as it well. is. And we did, Lauren is 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 chomping at the bit to talk about this final uh, Luthen scene where you have poor poor Lonnie, the ISB uh, redhead with the sweet stash, who turns out is a double agent. Super interesting because I, I I spoke about this a little bit with um, Toby, um, but it's um, usually when you have these sort of like double agent it's usually like someone on the good side that's helping the bad side right and maybe maybe like they're just pretending to be good or maybe they've been blackmailed by the bad side and they're like they don't want to help but they're forced to and this is like a reverse it's one of the bad guys he's not secretly good but luthan's got something on him and he's just basically like using the tactics of the bad side to actually make him do work for good and not letting him out of it and it actually has this crazy snare where I, I felt a little bad for this dude. I mean, this dude's like an ISB a-hole, and yet I'm feeling bad that he's stuck in this terrible situation, and Luthen's just like, I'm damned for what I do, but sorry, dude, you're in it. Uh, Lauren, I, I know you love this scene. Yeah, I thought this scene was like, I, I watched it uh, several times. I mean, we've seen other Imperial people turn good, you know, Tala and Agent Gordon and stuff like this. And this just seems like Lonnie's like, I'm doing this, but I got, I need to get out. Like, I've got a daughter. And, and Luthen's like, nope, sorry. And I think just the whole Luthen's whole speech where he talks about, you know, my mind is a sunless space. I involve my plans to ghosts. It's like basically admitting he's sacrificing his entire life for the hopes that maybe in the future they will take down the empire. And I thought the whole speech was great. And it really talks about a lot of the people in this like early rebellion part of it, where it's like, there were so many people, and, and this is also something you get into with Star Wars Rebels. There were so many people who did so much work to get Han and Luke to the point where they could do the trench run and blow up the Death Star. And like Han and Luke were the ones who got the fame out of it. But it was all of these like unknown people in the background who were setting up that you're, to be able to you're, have you're talking it. about Porkins is who you're talking yeah Porkins essentially <laughs> Making the sure. real hero of the rebellion <laughs> but I just think it's like all of these like nameless rebellion people that we're getting to meet and it's not just like you know Bale and Mon Mothma who are the public accepted face of the rebellion though I mean Bale wound up obviously sacrificing a great deal for this but it's just like you're getting to see all these other like sort of nameless people and people who weren't always in agreement about how this rebellion needed to sort of go forth. And we see uh, in this like Mon, who was basically the guy from Shrandrilla, uh, who basically was like, you know, you need to introduce my son to your daughter uh, so we can, you know, engineer an arranged marriage and then I'll do whatever you want with your money. And she was just like, that was like a bridge too far for her. And you see where Luthen is just like, Nope, I'm just like I have I'm sacrificing everything on all of my my morals for this. And so it's it's kind of an interesting counterpoint for, for Mon. There's a, a line that she won't cross. And for Luthen, there are no lines anymore. 
Lauren, did you feel like you were watching uh, House of the Dragon with that whole arranged marriage situation with Davu <laughs> yeah. Skulden? I mean, it felt very West of Westeros. I was just like, wow, they really get married young on Chandrilla. But, you know, so I, I'm fascinated to see all of these like customs of Chandrilla coming through. And I mean, like, you know, Leia was in the junior Senate at a very young age. But Mon Mothma was just like, it's like, wow, you guys are, what are your elementary schools like that you're just turning out senators at such a young age? But um. I thought that that whole thing was fascinating, too. Yeah, it's kind of a fascinating comparison to sort of like later stage rebellion, because I feel like a lot of the films are very much like, we're the good guys. We can't cross. We always take the high road. You know, we're fighting for love and friendship and taking care of each other. And we're not going to sink to their level. Whereas here, it's very much Luthan, especially, is very much like, I, we need to win. And I don't care how dirty we have to fight to, to get there. Um, and it's just sort of an interesting contrast to some of the I don't know. I feel like sometimes in the films, there's sort of like a we're high minded, you know, rebels and we're we're better than, you know, we're people who are our are, are enemies, basically. And and here it's it's very much like that. That's not the case. There is no sense of, you know, sort of moral superiority here. It's it's just a you know, it's a, it's a very practical sense of rebellion. It's it's a very idea of like we're in the middle of this fight and we need to do what we can to win it. Mm hmm. Mm. Anything all you all want to hit on uh, from this episode or the series so far before we get to our interviews? Just that, like, Stellan Skarsgård is great. He's... Oh, yeah. I definitely want, like, the, just that that ending speech. I just was like, I hope they pay attention at any time because, you know, I know I know it's a trap. They won't. They won't. You no, know, they won't. No. They never do. But. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, that's so, a great one. Do we think that Stellan Skarsgård is going to bite the dust in this season of Andor or next season of Andor? This because season. there's no way he's making it to. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's not. He's obviously not making to Rogue One, or else we, you know. But yeah. So I, I assume, like, in that kind of a speech is, I, you know, I am going down with this rebellion. So Dalton, you're saying by the end of this yeah, season, he's I out. think he's the. I think he's the. I think it's the finale. Mm -hmm. I think he's the. He's the domino that falls to really, you know, push Cassian into more of a focal position in terms of this rebellion. We know Mon Mothma's arc. We know she's going to quit the Senate and go full rebel. And so I think something's going to propel him and Luthen being the guy that's setting everything up, that I think we're going to start to see to transfer to other characters. Where he starts to pass the torch to, yeah, to Mon exactly. and to, to Cassian. Yeah. I don't know if we've noted it, but one of the the person that Cassian escapes with at the end, like the, sh the guy with the really short, dark hair, like kind of Caesar cut, he's in Rogue One. So he obviously makes it to the rebellion as well. I did not even notice that. Neither did I. Yeah, he's he's one of the guys that was on the table, really short, dark hair. He, and he was the one, I think, he was uh, about to trying to warn Cassian that like no one gets off this and Kino told him to shut up. But he's he is an actually Rogue One as well. Wow. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I feel like after this season ends, I'm going to need to do a full Rogue One rewatch. Yeah. I do really think that I know Disney Plus doesn't do the binge model, but I really do think this show would have benefited from the binge model. The more episodes you get to see together, the more powerful it is. Yeah, I kind of liked the way they released three the first week, and I feel like that was that was smart, and I would have liked to see them sort of package them, because as we've discussed, they've sort of been in these little arcs of three, almost like little mini movies. But I also do kind of like the, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm pro-weekly because I like, you know, being able to theorize and speculate and have a water cooler show to talk about. I'm with you. I prefer it that way, but I also, like, I think, it, I, they're, you know, they change it depending on how many episodes they think they need to get you hooked, Right. Obi-Wan, they're like, we need two. And or they're like, we need three. Sometimes they're just like, here's one. Right. Yeah. Sometimes they're just like, here's one. That's all you need. We get yeah. into the story quickly. So 
We'll see. Because I'm just still shocked after like three episodes of like hands away that there was never an accident at that table in the factory. <laughs> I just kept waiting for it to happen. They kept setting it up and you know, didn't happen. Yeah, I know. Nobody got their, their hands smushed. I totally would have gotten my hands smushed. Yeah, yeah. me too. I would have lost a thumb. All right. Yeah. Uh, we've served you up the appetizer, but now let's get you ready for the main course. Two main courses, actually. We spoke to Andy Circus who plays Kino Loy on the show, and Toby Haynes, who directed the first three episodes of Andor, as well as these last three prison installments. And we'll play both of those interviews for you right after this quick break. Thank you so much for joining me, Andy. I'm so excited to get to talk to you about these episodes. I mean, a lot of people would die to be in Star Wars just once, and here you are twice. <laughs> what made you say yes to this character? To be honest, when I, when I was first offered the opportunity, I kind of thought, oh, no, this is really going to confuse the hell out of things for the, for, for the fans. There was already all the Snoke theories going around. Now what's going to happen? You know, so, so I, I was like, oh. but then... <laughs> I was such a huge fan of Rogue One and Tony Gilroy's writing anyway, and he's such an amazing storyteller. And, you know, he we, we talked about the character and talked about the journey and the kind of the arc of the of the character in the series. And I just loved I I, I just loved where he was coming from with it. Um, you know, this this man who is his serving time, he's he doesn't want to ruffle any feathers. He he knows what's going on is sinister, but he's sort of closing everything off just to get through. Um, being desensitized on a daily basis. Um, and 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 it just but I kind of wanted to create a backstory for him, I suppose, that 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 you know. He was a here was a man previously before he was incarcerated who who actually really cared about the uh, the life of of, the, of his workforce. So he was probably like a shop steward or a you know man a foreman who was used to running lines, factory lines. But but then but then was was then put in prison for no reason reason other than that he was you know perhaps outspoken in terms of workers' rights, say for instance. And then he finds himself in this situation where you know, wrongly imprisoned and, and no chance of getting out and then finding out and discovering that he is, you know, if he just keeps his head down, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't question anything, just gets on with it, um, that, that he will be released and believes that he will be released, you know, and, and just focuses on that. And I just thought there was something inherently kind of sad about that and that, you know, he's been taken away from his family. Um, he doesn't think about, you know, anything to do with, rebelling or anything like that and then suddenly this force walks in Cassian and, and or and tries to kind of muck the whole thing up you know and, and so these two kind of heads are going at each other and 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 um and well you know you, without giving any spoilers away it, it sort of completely changes the course of of his life during Cassian's stay there yeah that's so interesting because yeah we we get sort of like little hints of like who he is and where he comes from but we don't really learn like you know how why he's in jail i like that idea that he has this four-man background or like this workers force background yeah i mean I, I just felt it was really necessary to kind of have something tangible that you know things that he hangs on to i mean and, and the environment that we filmed in you know i mean that set was amazing but it was really desensitizing as i say you know and the, and, and the, and the costumes that we wore the prison outfit was just you know and being barefooted on metal plates for for weeks and weeks you know it really does strange things to your head and uh this just lack of any sort of proper personal space or it's not like a, a, a even a kind of like a, a modern day prison cell where you know you you get to 
sort of communicate with other prisoners and uh, you know read library books or you know watch a film or you know there, there's nothing it's there was nothing no creature comforts no nothing at all to and so being on that set day in day out really did things to your head actually that was one of the things I wanted to ask you about. You know, the practical sets on on the show are so impressive and beautiful. I mean, like, what was your reaction the first time you stepped on the set and saw, you know, all these little details like the bunks and the the floors and and everything? Yeah, no, it was beautifully designed. I mean, the design work was incredible, and especially the factory floor and you know the way that all the mechanism, all of those mechanisms that worked for real, and the, the you know the whole the the whole way that the parts that are being constructed, you know, there was a definite regime that everyone had to learn, and it was a really complicated sort of system. Um, it was mind blowing, really, to be on on those sets and and see everything working and uh, everything that had been built work. Like I say, with that with that level of detail and precision, it was beautifully crafted. That's so amazing. And yeah, I mean, I we're going to run this story after the next episode is out. So I would love to ask you a little bit about that moment where Kino gets over the loudspeaker and he gives that, that great speech um, to the other inmates. What do you remember most about filming that, that sequence? Yeah, I mean, obviously that was a that was a there was a huge build up to to that to that moment, and by then you see you've seen the arc of of his journey and the the fact that he's pushing against Cassie and who's who's pushing him forward to to question what's going on, and he doesn't want to believe it because he, you know, he really thinks that the end is in sight if he just keeps his head down. Um, but that but that moment he is just like a you know a trigger switch once he realizes there's there's no chance of his of ever being released it just it, 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 it you know it really then does become about the power of the individual to change the future of others and you know the you know he locks back into that sort of self-awareness or awareness of of, of the fact that that you can actually in inspire and and change the fortune of others if you if you you know, if you risk it and 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 are prepared to stand up for for, for everyone, and we, you know, we're living in a world where we're seeing people standing up for what they believe is true and right, and 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 uh, it, it just resonated with so many things that are going on in in our world. So it felt very tangible in that in that respect. Absolutely, you've obviously been in the Star Wars universe as an actor, but I'm curious whether you would ever want to direct something in this space. Is that something you would be be interested in? Oh, naturally, of course, who wouldn't? I mean, it's just the most extraordinary kind of beautiful environment to work in. And uh, as I say, I love, I mean, I love stories that, 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 that are true. And what I loved about this particularly is the connection to, to, to the real world. And, and yet, you know, using, using the, the Star Wars, the way that Star Wars uses metaphor to tell stories. Yeah. Who wouldn't? Absolutely. All right. Great. Well, thank you again. And um, it's good to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Toby, thanks so much for joining us here on Dagobah Dispatch. Good to be here. All right. So um, you directed the first three episodes of the series and you directed episodes eight through 10 with the prison arc we just saw. What was the biggest difference for you in directing those two, three episode arcs or, or was it block shooting and some of it was all done at the same time? It was like I guess uh, the first block we were shoot we shot that as um uh kind of like an eight week kind of run. Um and then yeah, I was tandem shooting much of eight, nine, and ten for another three months, and then like we block shot the prison as one kind of almost standalone movie at the end of the shoot. So the whole my whole shooting spanned the entire run of the series. 
which was great, really, because um, one of the reasons why I wanted to do a second block is I didn't want them to carry on the party without me. Uh, I would have felt incredibly jealous. Um, uh, you know, we'd started this journey together and I wanted to finish it together. And um, and so I got this great opportunity for doing eight, nine and ten. And I was absolutely over the moon. The biggest difference for me was just my confidence. I think like I the, the first problem was, in, uh, you know, it was a lot to get a lot of world building, a lot of um, kind of technical stuff just to sort of get the show on its feet and to get the kind of style that we wanted and really make it feel gritty and kind of and real and get, you know, there was a lot of sort of pressure on those elements but once it was up and running you could really focus on just how you're going to direct it and uh and so i feel like i'm really proud of eight nine and ten because they're much closer to my kind of shooting style and they're sort of um i think they're more kind of uh, ambitious with the shots and the storytelling and the camera really kind of moves you through the story and kind of dictates where you are in the sort of uh in the tone of uh which act you're in in a way so like if you watch because if you are shooting it all in one go, you wouldn't want it all to have the same kind of style and pace. You just end up with a real mushy kind of piece of drama and you'd have to really cut it to shreds in the edit to make something a bit more energetic out of it. So I like to make sure that that energy is baked in when we're filming it, uh, that we're ramping it up at just the right levels in order to get each episode kind of to have its own distinctive quality. And I think when you watch episode uh, eight, for instance, the camera moves and everything are more kind of Kubrick-like camera moves. And it's more, it takes you through the piece in a more kind of uh, balletic way. Whereas if you watch some scenes from episode 10, it's going to be much more hectic and agitated and handheld. And that's one of the things I loved about the original uh, Rogue One when I first saw that I was seeing handheld used in the market scenes and that just totally blew my mind you know like here's handheld being used in the Star Wars universe I felt like that was so exciting and I wanted to make sure that that uh, we kind of maintained that that ambition that really puts you in the shoes of the characters walking through this this world I noticed that uh, immediately and it's interesting you mentioned that because I also noticed it in Rogue One and and it just when you get in that hand, you just feel like you're so much more in it and you feel the chaos of that prison break when you're like right in the middle of all the activity and it really uh is impactful yeah i mean that's really conscious i really want to make sure that the drama as it unfolds and it really starts getting up in its feet that it's happy it makes it feel like it's happening in front of your eyes because if you go too sort of technical you know too poetic too kind of uh, conscious um, it's not going to feel as spontaneous. You want it to make sure that this is this should feel like it's actually happening, and you're lucky enough to see it. it it's it's interesting you talk about all of this because we've been talking a lot as we watch Andor this season how much we love the fact that it's not shot in the volume, and that's not because we hate the volume and it, it's an amazing piece of technology, but it 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 because we've seen so much of the volume on these Star Wars TV shows, this just feels so different, and it does feel re real. And when you're in a place like Ferrex or one of these places, you, you feel like you're in a real environment on a real planet. And that's something that I'm not sure you could have accomplished working indoors all the time. Yeah, I think it's horses for courses, whether it's the volume or whether you're going to build sets. And I think that with Tony's story, that it was always going to be about um, as much as the sort of internal struggles of these characters, as well as the external struggles. And it's going to be really hard to do that when your set, set isn't there. I think that the set itself has uh, an impact on the way the actor performs performs on it. And, you know, like and certainly that was never truer than when we were filming in the prison, you know, when you're actually stepping out onto these steel floors in bare feet, 
that makes you feel incredibly vulnerable. And I think that is totally in, there was nowhere for these guys to go when they're on these sets. They couldn't nip out and go and be in a kind of green room somewhere with their bag and all their bits and pieces, you know, reading a book or whatever. They were stuck on the prison set. That prison corridor, each cell was their cell and they were stuck there. They couldn't have any stuff with them. They couldn't have their mobile phone, you know. So they were like very much in there. And that informs uh, the way they perform perform it you know and the the characters are, are really living and breathing in those environments and um i don't think that would have been able to be possible on the volume this, this is this is my favorite three episodes of the series because of what you're talking about what i love like look i love a prison break who doesn't love a prison break but what i love about it is that it feel it felt in one sense very familiar all right we're going into prison we've seen lots of stories in there and we're like people are going to try and get out we've seen that before yet also felt and looked so different because it was so bright it was a factory rather than a prison. You had different security measures in place. So we're seeing something and feeling something we kind of know to get excited about, but yet we're also seeing it uh, visually in a completely different way. Yeah, I mean, like, I think we're all kind of, um, certainly a lot of the people making this show are, are big sort of uh, sci-fi nuts and, you know, big fans of 1970s, 80s kind of uh, sci-fi fantasy. So, you know, there are a lot of kind of... Uh, um, call outs to those those shows and those films and i think they're very conscious i mean i know that one of the images that we looked at to sort of inspire the prison was from 1138 um yeah. thx and it was like it was you know uh it was a real thrill to me to sort of kind of bring that forward and also we've seen a grimy dark prison a hundred times we haven't seen this sort of bright antiseptic world and also like what uh tony was very clear it's not a prison it's a factory where right. they well, the workers are prisoners, but they're still workers. They're not prisoners. So they're not there to just be worked death. They're there to build a product and build productivity. So when we first rehearsed those scenes and try and even just to get the technology to work with actually this sort of production line was a massive undertaking. And we did it with rehearsals with um, with actors and just to kind of work through the logistics of it with the design department. And one of the two of the, when we first got it up and running and working, um, one of Tony's notes was that this is too, uh, it was too hectic. It was too, um, too much like a pit stop uh, in Formula One. You know, it just, it looked like a tire change. People were working too fast. It was like, it's got to be a kind of rate where they, um, where they kind of, uh, where they're working at a steady speed, but they're not working themselves to the to the bone. Um, otherwise, they'd be falling dead. You know, and that's not going to be good yeah. for the empire. They've got to be. They've got this sort of workforce. They want to keep keep the productivity up. So, just getting that sort of tonal kind of um, at the right level. You know, that was a lot of uh, a lot of work just in itself. Uh, obviously, we get Andy Serkis back in the uh, the Star Wars galaxy. Is so great as Kino Loy here. As we and we get to watch sort of that turn in him over three episodes, and he gives two great speeches uh, here. And then uh, I got Toby. He finally gets to the surface of the facility and is like, "I can't swim." It's so heartbreaking. So first off, what happens to him? What ha we see him say, "I can't swim." Then what happens to the dude? Oh my god! I mean, I wish I knew. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm a fan from here on, so like, I'll be what you know. Maybe whether he comes back in this season or not, I don't know. So. Um, uh yeah i think it's like it's open there like uh um what happens to his storyline he certainly wasn't killed so we know that much um and then that's the interesting thing about like um uh tony's writing if you're not dead 
then who knows what's going to happen to your character, you know, so that could happen. But um, yeah, I mean, it was a surprise to us all. I hadn't read, um, I had to start work on episode uh, eight and nine without seeing the end of episode uh, 10. So I didn't know that he couldn't swim until that point. So it was a real shocker when I read that script. Um, and then the way that the uh, Andy played it, um, I think quite a few takes we were doing it where he's sort of angry and it's like emotional that he's saying, I can't swim. I can't swim, you know, like that. Um, but then he just suddenly played it in this serene way where he was smiling and he's smiling and he goes, I've done all this and I can't actually get out. Like I can't swim. I'm not, this is where we say goodbye. Um, I thought that was absolutely inspired, um, you know, and that was you know great working with Andy that he would just chuck ideas at it and you wouldn't know it until he was actually doing it. And so it was so sort of, thrilling it must be great working with a fellow director who you know as an actor and director knows to like give you different stuff and knows what you're looking for and maybe can sort of you guys can sort of mind meld like that yeah i mean and sometimes it's not always the easiest working with actor directors uh <laughs> yeah, they have a unique uh idea of where they are um and often i actually want them to sort of let go of any kind of um because that's to some extent is going to encourage artifice and um uh i want them to be just the character that they are uh and i will be i'll make sure the camera's in the right place for them they don't have to worry about that so often like working with actors who have a lot of experience in directing it's making sure that they feel confident enough to be in your hands um that they don't have to engage the director side of their brain that's certainly the case when i work with kenneth branner for instance who obviously is a sort of master director himself and you know he really just wanted to act and he didn't want to sort of ever be worried about where I'm putting the camera um, or that I was going to miss something or whatever. So uh, having worked with him, it was certainly a lot, you know, kind of straightforward working with, with someone like Andy as well. Uh, I, I want to ask you about the scene between Luthen and Saul Guerrero we saw a few weeks back. Uh, it's so interesting because we've seen scenes, certainly a bunch in the Star Wars animated shows, which I'm nerdy enough to watch, uh, and Rogue One as well, where Saul is this, you know, super extreme character. And usually he's sort of arguing with more sort of moderate rebel voices. But here you have someone just as extreme, albeit in a different way in Luthen, which I found so interesting. So how did you want to approach that scene between Forrest Whitaker and, and Stellan Skarsgård? I mean, for a start, uh, like when you're looking at your day schedule and you're seeing you're doing a rehearsal with Forrest <laughs> Whitaker and like uh, Stellan Skarsgård, I mean, there's a moment in itself, isn't it? Uh, it was incredibly intimidating working with those two actors. But also what was really refreshing was they were intimidated by the material and each other as well. That they were, Everybody was super nervous about trying to get that scene right, you know, and trying to get the depth of character into that scene. Like Forrest only had a couple of scenes to work with in order to get, um, you know, a huge amount of history of his character across uh, and to develop the, you know, what he, what he, essentially pays off in in rogue one um so a lot of pressure was on him to sort of come in and deliver i mean that's not an easy task especially as a lot of people were coming out off the back of um uh lockdown you know so for a lot of you know that it's uh everybody's feeling a little rusty so um but i have to say like they sat down so they were really nervous everybody was super nervous they sat down around the rehearsal table um and they just started reading it and they like there was an energy to take chunks out of it. It was like, you know, two prize fighters. They were taking chunks out of it. They were challenging each other with the lines, you know, and it was just this first reading. And I remember thinking, you know, holy shit, you know, I've got gold here and I'm in the rehearsal room. I haven't got any cameras filming this. I've got Tony watching it on Zoom and we were just blown away. Like they finished reading it. And Tony was like, uh, if I get anything like that on set, 
I'm fine. Thank you guys. <laughs> you know, and I was like, this is uh, amazing. And we were kind of exploring lines and the depths of lines after that it was like sort of just capitalizing and stuff. So that was the rehearsal. And then when we came to filming it, I remember, you know, again, the nerves had built up and stuff. I was getting calls late at night from Stellan and from, from Forrest. And then uh, there we were on set in that cave, which was in a, a location down in, you know, Devon, I think. Um, you know, so we're in the middle of this kind of like cliff, cliffside uh, with this 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 cave that's sort of dropping water on us and sort of, you know, so the, the conditions are quite kind of extreme, even just to film it. Um, but it was, it took time. Like I remember it took time to get to the pitch that they already had reached in the rehearsal. It took, they had to sort of deconstruct it to reinvent it. And I remember shooting that. Um, the thing I remember most from it is shooting that close up of forest that was always designed. I always had this logic idea that I would do these extreme close ups that were profile shots. And then during that speech about all the different factions of the alliance, um, he, I thought that I would just turn the sort of profile shot through to a direct shot that would be looking straight into his eyes, that would bring the audience into the center of the drama without really noticing what I was doing, if you know what I mean, for that. Yeah, yeah. But like such a pivotal speech that it was like one of those moments you want to feel the hairs on the back of your neck to sort of rising. And so I, I was setting up this shot and we were doing it with Forrest. And then I was just like, kind of, let's go again, let's go again. And each time we're sliding back, we're just doing that line, that set of lines. And then I was like, go crazy with it, go crazy with it. And he just, he went up. And the last take of that, he just went wild with it. And I remember seeing that and thinking, my God, this is, this is like the best close up of my career. I don't think I'll ever do a better close up than this. And it was absolutely electric. Um, and then Stellan, of course, did his matching close up as well, which, you know, was incredible too. And so, like, I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. I'm so excited. It's awesome. Um, I, I want to ask you about a, a scene in this last episode uh, that we just saw, episode 10. You know, so many times we see on shows where there's or movies where there's a guy who's kind of, you know, there's some blackmail happening or something. So a good guy is being trapped into feeding information to the bad guys. And you you all put a big twist on it because you got this guy, Lonnie, uh, who's this ISB agent who he's trying to get out of spying for Luthen. And Luthen's kind of employing these tactics that are a little unseemly and, and telling him like, dude, you're stuck. You're working for me. Should we feel sorry for this dude, Lonnie? Toby, what do you think? Like, I feel a little bad for him all of a sudden. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is what I love about the show is that it takes you into interesting moral territory and um, and nobody's ever one side of an argument or other like playing by the rules. It's sort of, uh, this is what I like about like the story with um, uh, Kyle Soller's story. And, Cyril, um, yeah. Cyril, you know, he, he, I, who, what are we supposed to think about that guy? He's the bad guy. We set him up. We went, I did so much work to set him up as an asshole in, the, in episodes one, two, and three, you know, and then like later on, we meet his mother and we see why he's like the way he is and we feel sorry for him. And it's like, wow. And then like, I'm really thrown around by what am I supposed to think? And then that makes, generally gives you a sense of like anything can happen. Anybody's dispensable, you know, like, uh, uh, like you really don't know the direction that this show is going. And that is such a sort of refreshing and unusual place to be with Star Wars, I think. Uh, I, I got to say, we're, we're, we're really, by the way, we're shipping on here on the Dagobah Dispatch podcast, we are shipping Cyril and Deidre a little bit. We feel that would be a really intense relationship with a lot of like super crisp and clean uniforms and a very well-made bed. Uh, what was it like <laughs> filming scenes with those two? 
<laughs> well, who knows? Look, yeah, you know, I'll be I'll be watching it as a fan myself. So we'll see we'll see what you know what's in store for them. It was awesome. Um, so look, a lot of Star Wars shows and movies have a lot of Easter eggs, right, happening. But this this doesn't seem like that kind of show. But is there stuff in there that we're missing? I don't know if people are missing it. What I love is that people are picking up on it. I mean, I couldn't help as, um, you know, a Star Wars fan, like every now and then, if I saw an opportunity, I'd drop something in there. And uh, there's certainly one. I don't know if you saw the one in episode nine that was when uh, Bix is being tortured and the door shut closes and somebody walks past the door. I did. I was like, this this moment for me is a new hope. I can see this now. And I was like, I was so excited. And I was like, we were supposed to be moving on with the with the with into the next scene. And I was like, no, no, I remember the last shot. The last shot's going to be like this. And I was setting up the camera and someone's got to walk past it. And it took a few goes to get the timing right. And my first AD's going like, come on, hurry up, hurry up. Why are you wasting your time with this stuff, you know? And I was actually sitting, when I was shooting that one, I was sitting next to... Um, uh, uh, Kathleen Kennedy, and so uh, she'd just come come on set for a visit, and I was like, "Ah, oh, you're going to like this. this. is straight from A New Hope. I hope you don't mind." And she was like, "No, no, keep do more of them, do more of them." You know, and it, I was, was like, a- so I saw when people, I saw when uh, somebody picked up on it on Twitter and actually married it up with A New Hope, and it cut perfectly uh, with it, with it like that. I was like, that was my fanboy zenith. I was absolutely delighted with that. We talked about it on the podcast last week. I pointed out, I'm like, I love just that boot clamp coming down on the floor. It's so great. I noticed it immediately. I wasn't even looking at the original. We didn't have like copies of the original to sort of go by. This was just in my head. Like this is thematically, I remember this moment so well because of my, when I was watching when I was six years old, we recorded um, Star Wars off the TV and we're watching it off VHS. I mean, you know, uh, George Lucas will probably trap me down and ask me for some copyright <laughs> money. But uh, but we, that's how we watched it. And we watched it over and over. And like, um, and I remember that shot used to come in just before the ad break. And so we were left like absolutely on the edge of our, our seats, you know, like what's happening? So it was a big moment for me. I know you're a big, you grew up a big Star Wars fan. Who Did you have a favorite character or uh, anything specifically that you gravitated towards? I guess, I mean, like we all love Boba Fett. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. I think, uh, I think I just used to really like, I had all the figures. So like, um, me too, yeah. I used to really fall in love with like, um, I think, you know, kind of nine numb, um, yeah. uh, but Salacious Crumb. Look, I mean, I'd love to do this uh, spin-off uh, series to Salacious Crumb and Jabba's Palace, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know that would be that would just make that for me you know can i i'll do that six episodes salacious crumb i was more of a bib fortuna guy back in the day uh, i will take you to java now and then i feel like lobot doesn't get enough respect i'm waiting for the lobot yeah. spinoff my man yeah that would be great that would be great i love that I, you know i was um yeah i mean yeah <laughs> let's That's do it <laughs> did, did you get did you get any props or mementos from the job toby anything you got you got to just steal from us from set I, I well, the, the, it, there is no stealing from set. There is the, <laughs> uh, the, there is um, the 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 Empire may have an iron grip, but Lucasfilm has a grip that's <laughs> more irony than that. Um, uh, but I do, yeah, no, I was lucky. I was gifted something at the end of the shoot. But the thing about when you're gifted something, you you never actually own it. All I'm, I've, I had to sign a piece of paper that I'm just the um, authorized keeper of that prop and um and so on the day that i die that that prop goes back to the lucasfilm archive so uh so it's sort of it is a, a permanent loan that's amazing what's the prop oh i don't know tell what me. to tell you 
It's one of Cassian's guns. I've got one of Cassian's guns. Oh, that's awesome. That's so great. Oh, it, man. It was great. It was like, it was fantastic. Yeah. Are you going to get back in the mix or directing on season two at all? Uh, I don't know at this point. Um, I think all I can say is watch this space. All right. We'll watch this space. Uh, Toby, man, love the love these last three episodes. They were so great, so exciting. And like we said, so many just visually cool things you did with it. And I uh, uh, appreciate you hanging out with us today. Dalton, thank you very much. Love you to meet you. Our thanks to Andy Circus and Toby Haynes for hanging out with us this week. And we hope you enjoyed hanging out with us as well. And if you did, please do us a solid and leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. And if you do so, we'll give you a shout out right here on the pod. Also, please follow and rate the podcast and tell all your friends about it. Because as Elton John, Stevie Wonder, Dionne Warwick, and Gladys Knight once opined, that's what friends are for. You can also hit us up on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials, at EW on Twitter, and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly using at Dalton Ross, at Devin Kogan, and at Morgue Lore. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>